Sometimes they can be local entrepreneurs, or they could be someone um, who's doing their thing worldwide. Um, so it's an opportunity for you to get to know these people up and close and learn their story and what gave them the passion to do what they do or provide the type of service they provide. So please sit back and enjoy the show. And please be encouraged to share. A lot of people, including myself, kind of do their thing by word of mouth, you know. So the more you spread the knowledge about the show, then the more people who can tune in and grow this thing and make it bigger. And it also gives more support for the people who I bring on the show who are looking to get their product or services out to the masses. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. She has a story to tell about how she built herself from the ground up, unfortunately ended up in prison and got out and rebuilt her life. Residing in the Pelican state of Louisiana, please welcome Miss Rajana Harris to the Talk to Q radio show. Rajana, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really appreciative. Thanks for joining the show. And well, first thing I want to do, I want to shout out one of my podcast peers, uh, Miss Erica Warren of Dope Discussions with Erica. Now, I heard your interview on her show, and I, I reached out to her immediately, and I said, I got to have Regina on my show. And uh, <laughs> Erica and Gator did a great job on that show. I was glued to my laptop for the entire episode. So I'm um, so glad wow. to have you here. Now, tell Thank us a little you. bit about your background. What was life like for you growing up? Uh, for me, life was a little difficult growing up. I grew up in a household that consisted of my grandparents. My mom used to drink a lot, and she was the type of mother that really was disassociated from her children, if that makes sense. Like, she loved us, but we didn't have the love there that was needed and conducive to enough for children. And uh, with me living with my grandmother, I was the type of child that had to learn how to grow up faster than the norm. Like, my grandmother and my grandfather, nobody could read but me of course, and uh, I had to assist them a lot with reading bills and just really becoming more mature than I needed to become. And I was really bogged down with the whole situation. And then we were in a poverty-stricken area, so you really didn't have a chance. And if you did, you were one out of many that made it as a success in that neighborhood. So life was a bit rough. You know, I I had a, a wild imagination and large dreams, but I didn't have anyone to sit with me and, and make me go out and, and try to be the woman that I was destined to become. Okay, so how did you get started as an entrepreneur? I mean, and what type of work did you get into? Well, at first I started working in the medical field. I went to a job interview at McDonald's, and when I was there, my sister said, Ro, I cannot see this being you working at McDonald's. You're bigger than that, which really motivated me, and I was very impressed that she came at me like that. So I went across the street to a workforce center, and they paid for my tuition and my uh, for my son to go to daycare as well as give me a gas card. So I started working in the medical field, but I felt like something was missing in my life. And I wanted more. I know it was more outside of the realm of just living, but I didn't know how to capture it. So going around, looking at different things and trying to figure out a business that I wanted to own, um, I went with my mom one day, oddly enough, she was filing her taxes, and I saw how what looked easy to me as they were preparing the returns and getting the people in, 
uh, I was very intrigued by that process. Like I was very, and I was only 18 years old. Uh, after that, I started doing a lot of research. I tried nursing school and such, but it wasn't my catch because I wanted something to where I could stay home with my children. So uh, I kind of fancied in that area. Once I came and got it down packed, uh, uh, got in touch with the IRS, got me an e-files number, an EFIN number, and uh, I just told myself, I said, Lord, if you give me this chance, just this one chance, this will definitely be my golden ticket out of the hood. And I know it sounds kind of crazy, but it was the truth for me. It was my reality. Okay, so how did it all take off? How did you get started, build your clientele as far as the tax business? Um, what I was doing, I was at home. My mom needed a payday loan to pay a bill. She came over. I assisted her with the with the bill. I went through a company called Commission Junction, or formerly known as CJ.com. I became a an, an affiliate of that company, and my mom sent her friends over. And oddly enough, the friends were so impressed that I got them the money instantly that they asked me to send more people, and they paid me for my services. So when they sent more people, I kind of grew into this, like, big thing. <laughs> Go to her. She does the payday loans. You know, she's going to get you the money. And it actually worked. They were getting $500 a piece. And then I found another lender that was giving, like, oh, uh, wow. 300 And then after that, I just became so big. I was making about $500 a day, which which right now is a lot of money, you know. And uh, me, my sister, and one of our friends came in, and I ran a whole office outside of my house. So I used that money, oddly enough, to take it and build my, my tax business. So I would buy my computers all my, uh, everything that I need, all my equipment, and I ended up getting me an office. And once I got the office, the clients came with me. I guess they figured, well, heck, if she can get us payday loan money, I'm sure she can get us some tax money. $500 a day? I'm thinking I'm in the wrong business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was $500 a day because, uh, well, you have to think of it like this. With that company, now, CJ, they only pay commission once a month. So I probably get a check for fifteen, eighteen hundred dollars a month. But the clients that came in, they had to prepay me in advance, which was about twenty five dollars a piece, only because I had to use my own uh, materials. I had to use my printer, my paper, my electricity, and such. And it was a courtesy because I didn't need all the requirements that an actual payday loan lender needed. I didn't need all of the check stubs and such. I knew how to go all the way around it to get those approvals for those clients. Okay, so is that what ultimately went wrong with the business that ended up getting you in hot water? Um, as I continued, I started my business in 2009 with the taxes. And after I started, I did everything the way I was supposed to, you know, legitimately is what I'm going to use the term as. And one day we were trying to figure out how do you go in and get clients extra money? So me and my friend, uh, we came up with the HSH income. It was actually off of another client's return that came from somewhere else, and they needed me to amend the return. So me being nosy, I just went on in, and I started researching about it. Now, with HSH income, you're not supposed to go over a certain margin, which is about $1,800. But for me, I just, the need for greed, went in, and I was putting $15,000 on there, you know, more than enough to where it was equivalent enough for a W-2 to where it looked like um, it looked like they had more than enough money to be able to substantiate having a W-2. So that would increase the refund by thousands of dollars, and it actually would go through. So one day while I was at my office, this was many years, I received an audit. 
they came out and uh, they did an audit on my, my files. And the lady told me, she said, Ms. Harris, you need to get all this together because if they come into your office, you're going to be in some trouble. And I really didn't take heed to what she was saying then because it kind of went one year out the other. And then the money was coming in so fast to where it was like, I could pay for this and have this swept up under the rug with no problem. But when they came in, uh, it really took me for a whirlwind. I was at home on the phone getting a babysitter to come by and watch my daughter. And one of my uh, workers came, my, my employees, I'm sorry, came over and she was like, Ro, the feds are at the office next door. I don't know what's going on. So we got ready to try to go over. And I was like, oh, no, you know, maybe something going on with them. Someone called her and said, no, it's at our location. My heart raced. I was standing inside crying and sobbing like a baby and, and begging, you know, like, Lord, please tell me. I don't know what I don't know what's going on. You know, when you hear feds, there's nothing good that comes out of it. So as Not I got ready all. to try to go, yeah, I got ready to leave to go to my office and try to figure out what was going on. They had already pulled into my house, so I couldn't leave. So I sat there. They came in, introduced themselves. And, of course, I wasn't very forthgiving with information. I told them they had to see my attorney. And I didn't have an attorney, but I had to use a tech to tell them, listen, you know, I don't know what y'all are thinking, but it's not anything like that, you know. And uh, from then on, I was under investigation for five years. Um, after the investigation, uh, my attorney got in touch with me. They waited until after I had my daughter, who was one uh, at the time when I, you know, when I, get, when I finally got indicted. I went to court, and I'll never forget it. The judge, as I'm telling my testimony, saying, hey, you know, I, I asked for forgiveness for the court. You know, this was an intentional. The judge slammed the gavel. He was like, you took $1.1 million from the federal government. And I'm like, oh, my God, are you serious? You know, I can't believe this. I didn't take anything, you know. And uh, he sat down, and he said, well, we're going to go ahead, and we're going to do our sentence. And that's when my life changed. She told me I had 30 months in federal prison. And I swear to you, I'll never forget that. I'll never even forget that moment because that was the moment that life just really transitioned for me. 30 months. Good gracious. I, did you initially think that you were going to get any time or, or did you think it would be maybe just a fine you could pay and go home? I did not because my attorney was so persuasive she was like, well, you've never been into any trouble before or anything like that. You should be fine. They should give you, uh, if, if anything, you know, zero to 30 months. And we're looking at zero and probation. But when we went to court, she gave me another paper that said I'll be sentenced to not more than up to 30 months. And I'm like, I said, Valerie, what is going on with this? I said, you never told me any of this. This is my first time. Like, I'm freaking out. And she's like, it's okay. I mean, if you have to go ahead, the most you have to do is the two and a half years, and guess what? You'll be back at home with your, your children. I'm like, it's easy for you to say something like that when the monkey is not on your back. Two and a half years is a long time to be from your family, your children. I mean, how dare you even be so insulted to make it seem like it's a it's a, just a walk in the park when it's not. And then after that, you know, they said all rise. And, I mean, we were, we were going toe to toe because I couldn't believe it. You didn't even disclose the fact with me that I was going to get this time. You made it seem the whole while that I'm only going to get uh, probation, which, which I, was, I was looking forward to, not prison. Yeah, and, and to say just two and a half years, there's no such thing as just two and a half years. I mean, Absolutely my goodness. Absolutely not. Right, absolutely not. It's not. It, yeah, it changed my life. Um, 
I'll tell you after that, once I got sentenced, I had to break the news to my children. And, and I, I swear, Quince, I can't tell you enough how many times when I was in prison, I replayed that moment where I had to sit down with all of them and tell them that mommy's going somewhere for a long time. You know, that, that hurt me the most because my daughter told me when I woke up right before I told them that she had a dream that I was crying, but she didn't know what I was saying in the dream. And I went to tears right then, and I, I just told them. It, it broke my heart because as I was leaving, you know, driving all the way back to Texas, I, I just cried because these kids, their life was changing, and it wasn't anything that I could do about it. I couldn't run away. I couldn't sell my pack up and go to Mexico. I couldn't do anything, you know. It's like they had a tie on me, and it hurt me the most. I can only imagine that had to be horrible, and especially with the one-year-old who barely knows you, and now you're going away yeah. from her life, and uh, so right. that definitely had to be rough. How old was your oldest child at the time? Uh, at the time, my oldest was 17, I believe, 16 or 17. Okay, okay. I want to say I want to say 16 going on 17 at the time. That's how yeah, she was she was uh a teenager actually. My older two were teenage, you know, they were teenagers, so it was very difficult not understanding that, you know, my mom committed a crime. Like what did she do? Did she murder someone? Is she a bad person? You know, uh and then it's hard being a female going to prison. Like men, I know men go, you know, quite often for various reasons. But for me, it was different knowing myself as a female and a woman of many magnitudes and many hats having to go somewhere and being stripped of all my rights. I had lost so much. I lost both of my homes. I had four vehicles. You know, I had the epitome of the life that people probably would crave and desire. You know, uh, it was very hurtful, and it was it was something that I didn't want to happen because my fear was, teen pregnancy for my daughter, you know, or my son straying away feeling abandoned. You know, it was just all types of emotions running through my head and my mind that I had no control of. Like the hurt and pain is something that no one could ever prepare themselves for because you don't look up every day and, and, and go to prison. You know, it's just not something that is it's of the norm that just happens. And it's like, oh, well, I'm just going to prison. I'll be back. It wasn't like that for me. Okay. And so now you're on your way to prison. You're you're being transported there. Um I'm not sure who how mm-hmm. who drove you there or anything like that, but what was your last meal before you went inside? Well, me and my mom and my stepdad they took me in because I was a self surrender. I had two months to turn myself in. My last meal was McDonalds. Uh I stopped by and got me a number one with a Coke and uh I ate and I drank, and I still continued to cry the whole way there. When I got there, my mom, she's not one of those affectionate type of people, so she doesn't have that motherly instinct. So as they dropped me off, it was just like they're dropping me off at school and leaving. You know, it, was, it wasn't a hug. It wasn't, listen, you know, just know I love you if you need anything. It wasn't that. It was, okay, you know, just call me. You know, when we make it home, just call me and let me know that you're okay. That was it. I think that hurt me the most because I was looking for my mother to still be a mother or try to be a mother at least. And, you know, it was nothing. Even going through the court system, my mother, uh, 
I was telling her, she was like, well, did they give you time? You know, and I told her, yeah. But before court, I was like, um, are you going to go to court with me? Go to court with you for what? I'm not going to court. That hurt me. You know, and I don't think she know how bad it hurt me as a woman. Even though my whole childhood, I yearned and wanted someone to be there, she still wasn't there for me. And that really affects me to this day, you know, that after all these years, you're still not changing up your ways to be there for me. So when they dropped me off, I went in. I told them who I was. They told me I wasn't supposed to report to the next day. But I told them, I've already been dropped off. I don't have anywhere to go. So they put me in a hole and said they booked me, <laughs> put cups behind my back. I had to remember my rig number, uh, which I wasn't familiar with. I'm like, I don't know what a rig number is. You know, this is my first time ever getting into something like this. Um, the lady up front, she was very nice. But up until the next day is when everything started to transition. I cried all that night. And the next day I had an orange suit on. They walked me out to book me in, per se. And after that, uh, they gave me my brown suit, and I had to go find my unit. When I walked into the unit, it looked like a circus of women running around in grays and white. And I'm just looking like, this cannot be life. Like, are you serious? This, this is prison? And they're running around, everybody's talking, playing cards. Where I was, I was at an immigration holding facility. So a lot of the people spoke Spanish. Spanish was the predominant language there, and uh, – the Hispanic uh, heritage was uh, the more dominant of the race uh, being there at the, the facility I was at. Oddly enough, there were very few blacks and whites. Oddly enough, everyone was of another nationality or come from another country. So I walk in, um, and uh, I, I'm in shock. Like, I can't speak. I'm at a loss for words because I don't know how to introduce myself to these people. Like, this is brand new for me. And at that moment, I knew, you know, I had to try to figure out how I was going to survive in prison. Uh, that sounds like a lot. I can only imagine the sensory overload, just walking in there and just feeling like your soul leaving your body. I, I can't imagine what that experience yeah. was like. And uh, where, where was this prison located in, in what state? This, this prison was located in Alexandria, Alabama. Um, believe it or not, they actually gave me a choice as a self-surrender. It was, you look on the map, you figure out which one you want to go to. Because she said, oh, my, my attorney, I'm sorry, stated that they didn't really have thought that they were going to send me just yet. But if I had one in mind to let her know. And I was doing research on several several prisons, but that one I kind of wanted to connect with a little bit more because they had the educational classes there. And I figured if I'm going to be gone for two and a half years, I may as well try to educate myself while I'm there. You know, because I'm not confrontational. I don't get into fights and stuff. I'm a businesswoman, period. I don't know anything else. I just know business and how to maintain professional at, at all times. So for me, I wanted something that was going to help me grow, not go, and you know, go in and just come out and have to try to figure my life out. It just wasn't going to happen for me. Okay, so let me back up for just a second. Prior sure. to... Um, going to court and the tax taxes and all of that stuff. Did you have a, um, what was your educational background? You have a college degree in accounting or anything? Yes. I no, in uh, mine is in business administration, a bachelor's degree in business administration. And uh, I had a host of many other certifications. I even did the notary services as well, but not Louisiana. I was in Virginia for the notary services. And, um, 
that was really it. And that was prior to your tax business? Yeah, that was prior to my tax business. Okay, okay. All right, so now you're there. You're amongst everybody. What was the day-to-day like there? Um, I mean, when most people think of prison, we think of, you know, the stuff we see on TV, the Orange is a New mm-hmm. Black or Oz, or we always think the worst. But what was it like day-to-day in there? Um, day-to-day starting out as a new prisoner, for me, I was very depressed. That was one of the biggest things. I was very depressed going into prison, and um, your day-to-day is just basically laying in bed, sleeping, you know, trying to get used to going to this appointment, going to this class, or, you know, going into different things. It's up to you. When I first made it there, they kind of the girls kind of showed me around prison, you know, gave me a little tour, telling me what's this for, what's that for, who my counselor was, that the counselors were not going to do anything for me, and that was the truth. Um, after that, they start putting up a bulletin showing you classes that were coming available, and they showed an NCCER class for carpentry and for electrician and for cosmetology. So I ended up putting an application in to do the carpentry program, and the next month, for me being in prison, I went January of 18. The next month in February, I was selected because I kind of I kind of begged, like, hey, if I'm going to be here doing time, I'd like to at least learn something while I'm here. Um, it's not what people think. Everybody's not just laying around every day, only the ones that are, in my opinion, druggies. But everybody else who wants something, we're usually at the law, the law library trying to figure out a way, if not one, for how to get out but how to educate ourselves and learn more about the law. So for me, Monday through Friday was class time. I would go to uh, carpentry class. Then after that, I would go to the law library, and I would self-teach myself different little things about the law. Uh, I ran into a few attorneys that were in prison, believe it or not. Uh, I even ran into a few fictitious uh, people that were portrayed to be attorneys from what I pulled up off the the PACER report. But – you definitely don't have, like, because I was white-collar, because I think a lot of people perceive that, oh, you're going to be in the same category as everybody else. You'll be with all the white-collar clients. That's not true. I was around a lot of women that murdered. Um, the majority of women that I did encounter that were there, yeah, blacks included, honestly, were there for molestation. They were, uh, yeah, sex trafficking is a very big thing there. Drugs is a very big thing and, and you know don't get it misconstrued that because you're in prison you don't have access that's not true they have meth up in there one of my former bunkies was a meth addict and she got caught with meth in there so I mean it was crazy you even had guards that were having sex with the inmates that were getting caught uh, and getting indicted um, it was a wild jungle honestly um, there you have football basketball you have volleyball, you have teams of games that you can get on. Like they really make it to be an experience to where you're not sitting around depressed. You can actually sign up for things to do. I never knew what some of the experiences would be like. I uh, Like I said, we always see the worst on television. And so there's well, uh, no, know, I'm sorry, go ahead. As I may say, there are a lot of worse situations there. I mean, there are a lot of fights. But I will tell you, in my experience being there, a lot of the fights were only with the ones who had um, a relationship with another inmate. So if it was two girls that were in a relationship there, 
And there were a lot of, and I don't want to use this term, but I'm just going to have to say because that's the only term I know, studs that were there. It was a lot of women that Uh were just like men that were transitioning because oddly enough, the federal government will pay them for their transitioning. So you had a lot of it there. And when they had fights, it would mostly be among, uh, you know, that group of people. It would mostly be that group of people that would actually have that girlfriend-on-girlfriend relationship. They would always be the ones fighting and engaging in something that's crazy or people who were on drugs that hung together a lot, they would mostly have fights because somebody owed somebody for a drug deal or they would go PC themselves so they didn't have to pay. It it would be, trust me, it was crazy. But for me, because I was level-headed while I was there and going in, I knew I wanted to do something different, that I was one of the 1% that actually came out and made a difference. Go, I'm sorry, going in that made a difference. Uh, I will also let you know that when I was there, I was a teacher. I was selected to be a teacher, so I taught several classes while I was in there. Yeah, and I I did a big class on women empowerment because a lot of people still struggle with the fact that they're coming into prison and getting hit for 10, 15, 20 years, you know. So that's hard. You need somebody that's going to go in and uplift you on a day-to-day and let you know, hey, I'm your sister. I may not be your blood sister or your blood relative, but I'm here in spirit, mind, body, and soul to let you know that I care, and we're going to fight through this together. So I, I think yeah. what I'm most surprised about when you tell me about the inmates is that you all went in there with murderers and things of that nature, and I'm like, man, so you could have been in there with some yeah. um, investigation discovery characters or something and didn't even know it. So, Well, yeah, I had a lot of people that I uh, met that were actually on Lifetime Movie Network. Um, oh, okay. I had one that was on investigation discovery, one um, I it was a, a it was quite a few. And I, I don't want to name names, you know, for protection of them, but few of them that were that that's still in there that I've met that are quite the character. Trust me. All right. So you went through your you had to do the full thirty months. I actually did twenty six months, and four months um, was for my good time. So I was able to come home. Uh, they did a new law called the First Step Act, and I was able to come home two weeks early. And what the First Step Act consists of for a lot of inmates, if you do a lot of classes and earn a lot of points from those classes, um, you'll potentially be able to be released early to home confinement or halfway house. But I didn't get a chance to go to halfway house. I just did my time and came straight home. Okay, so what was it like when you got out? What was the first thing you did? When I bit into that sandwich, I cried because for so long, <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but for so long, you're uh, in captivity to what I call it, captivity. So you don't have access to select what you want to eat. You don't have access to be picky about certain things, you know. And if you didn't have money coming in, because I didn't have a whole lot of money coming in, um I wasn't one of the fortunate ones that families send a couple of hundred dollars every month to put money on their books so they can eat comfortably off the commissary. I wasn't one of those. In fact, a lot of them that I met came in really small and thin and came out big as a bear. I gained a lot of weight because the depression and, you know, the lines to the family to get extra money. and for nothing. I didn't want to do that to my family. If I didn't have it, I'm not going to lie to them because, my mom was taking care of my children, so it's no way I'm going to deprive my child. And here I am under free lights, water, a bed. You know, I, I just, for me, I'm just, 
I'm very simple. I didn't need much, and if everything was taken care of, I didn't have to worry about anything. So I was just more relaxed. If they whatever they had in the kitchen was what I ate, period. So, but yeah, um, it, it was crazy. You ever keep in touch with any of the people you met? Actually, I have. Um, right now, I do several services. This one service I do is called Behind Closed Doors, and I do the pictures or. Um, if they need me to look up something off PACER and mail it in to them or for me to try to help them with their cases, I still try my best here because I have more access here on the outside than I did within. Within, I uh, became a paralegal. I forgot to disclose it to you. I'm sorry. But I became a paralegal while I was in there. So the extra money that I would get from family, I would just pay for my tuition. And uh, after that, I would go in and uh, help people with those cases and a lot of the state cases I actually won and the state cases are very minute because it it only helps them be able to get on the second phase to either go to another prison or be able to get into a rehabilitation program and um, after doing those services um, I help them with photos just different little things that we take for granted being home that they don't have access to being inside you know I I can't keep up with all the titles that you have now you have so many titles (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know, right? So how did you get reestablished um, in the workplace again? I mean, you know, well, you're, 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 you're out and you're you're back home with your family. Well, I'm sorry. Before I go there, let me ask you, what was it like when you saw your kids for the first time? I actually have video of me seeing my kids for the first time. And when I tell you, it was like heaven on earth, like, my adrenaline was so high, and I kept FaceTiming them, saying, Mommy's coming home. Mommy's on her way right now. And uh, when I walked through the door, my one-year-old really didn't I – mean, she was she had, well, she had was three when I came home, but she really didn't know, know me. She knew me, and it's like I was familiar to her, but she still had to kind of take in who I was. The rest of the children were hugging me and squeezing me and – Oh, my God, it was just so surreal. We ate pizza. I, I got some pizza that night. We sat down. We ate pizza. We talked. We laughed. I even think we stayed up all night. That was probably the best rest that I had gotten in a while. Yeah, you're back in a real bed, and you're able to do things on your own schedule. And so I, I sure that, I'm sure that was a great feeling. And, yeah, but it yeah, was so, surreal. So how did you get reestablished um, with working again? Okay, so when I came home, I basically prepared myself and made like a a, a preparation plan, at least a one-year plan, and then I have one that's a five-year plan. But my one-year plan was to immediately get a few things together, get a job, get a car, and get a place to stay. And oddly enough, it happened. When I came home, I applied to Amazon, and I thought everything was great. I went in for the interview, took my picture was in, and then I got that call saying that I could not because of my background. So they kind of hurt me a little bit, you know, in depression for a little while. Then I just kept persistent, and then I put one in as a uh, nursing assistant because that's what I used to do a while back. And anyway, um, went in, and the hospital called me. I did an interview, and after I did the interview, um, I got a second call back saying that everything was clear, which was scary to me because I'm like, what? Are you serious? But they said everything was clear and that I can get started. So I started out there, and as I started working, ideas started flowing back to me 
from doing my home care agency. So uh, I sat there, I put a meticulous plan together to try to get things running. And by luck of the draw, I started my uh, Mary's Home Care Angels. I had a lot of patients that would come in that needed someone to sit with them. And I would go in and print off my brochure, just a paper brochure, not nothing fancy, because I couldn't afford to buy brochures and, and cards and stuff. I would converse with them, go to the home, do a basic assessment on their needs, set up a contract, and bingo, I had people working. And, and that's what I'm doing now. All right. So where can people find you now and connect with you? How how can they get with you? They can find me on Facebook under either my name, Rojana Harris, or they can also go to Harris and Associates Paralegal page. <laughs> if they need legal assistance, I can't assist formally because I'm not an attorney, but I can definitely help dra- draft up paperwork. Or if they're looking for home care assistance or need a job, they can go online to Mary's Home Care Angels Facebook as well with it under Mary's Home Care Angels. All right, and I'll be sure to, to post a link to all of that on the talktoq.com show page for people to have access. I, I definitely I want to um, applaud you for for working on yourself while inside. I mean, you continue to educate yourself and make yourself better. And that says a lot about your character. And now you're back into yeah. the real world and you're thriving and you went from a prison jumpsuit to a corporate power suit. You know, I think that's great. Exactly. I can honestly and, tell you that in that situation, only the strong truly do survive because my mindset before going in, because I knew that I was going to have to do the time two months prior to me being uh, having to self-surrender, I knew that I had to set myself apart going in and that I truly, truly wanted to be an example coming out. I didn't want anything to deter me from going in and coming out, being someone of leadership and, you know, trying to get back on and bounce back. Now, I won't tell you that it was very easy, but mindset is everything, and I invoked what I wanted to have in my life. I needed a car. Guess what? I got it. I needed a place to stay. It was hell and high water going through these changes and these circumstances, but uh, everything happened. Like luck, God, everybody intervened all at once. It was like divine. Everything just started happening back to back. And, you know, I am forever grateful for my experience. I don't know about other people. I know a lot of other people have a lot of uh, development that they need to do, but in there, and I'm speaking for the ones that are incarcerated, you cannot live in there and out here. You have to differentiate between the two. Or you go crazy just trying to keep up with everything that's going on and being obsessed with what's going on with the world. You have to let that go and grow, period. That is great advice. And I'm also, I'm sorry to hear about you not receiving the nurturing love that you needed from your mother. I mean, you you went through a very scary scary process virtually alone. And you came out on the other side a much better person. And, And you should be proud of yourself that and know that your children can draw from that energy that you project as always being a person who who is looking to improve herself and Absolutely. of course you can you can be the mother to them that your mom may not have been for you but I'll, I'll get you out of here on this one last question what can people mm-hmm. who may not have the support from their parents that they crave do to kind of get past that because you found a way to get through all that well, for me, I, honestly, I will tell you, and I know a lot of people are against counseling, but I did have to go to counseling services because, you know, I needed to be able to mentally 
take in everything that was going in, but I didn't want to hold anyone such as my mom accountable for her upbringing and the way that she raised us. So I had to go into mental health services, talk with them, come up with a plan, someone that I can vent to all the time because you don't really want to put your stuff out there and tell people your business or feel like you're getting nobody in your business. You want to find somebody that you can can trust. And for me, my counselor was the one that I can trust and tell what was going on so that I would not necessarily have to have a mental breakdown, but just being able to vent sometimes. Um, They'll put you in these classes that you can go ahead and learn how to have coping skills, you know, to try to fight it because mental health is real. Well, Miss Rojana yeah. Harris, I would like to thank you for taking the time to join this Q on One broadcast of the Talk to Q Radio Show. You're one of my new favorite people. I think that you have an amazing story, and that it could be a lifetime movie someday. And um, and if you decide to do that, have somebody cool play me, play my role. Okay, make sure somebody <laughs> cool. Don't just let anybody do it. You know, make sure somebody that's dope. I wish you nothing but success in your future endeavors, and I have no doubt that you'll achieve it. I thank you so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it, and hopefully we can do an update in the near future as to how everything's going and the outcome of my my newfound life. And that's going to do it for this T2Q podcast. Go to TalkToQ.com, and that way you can sign up for the email newsletter and be alerted to new shows as they come out. I'm on Twitter at talk to q and that's Talk, the number 2Q. So I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast of T2Q, and I'll see you next time.